Eric. Hi, Abe. How are you? What? Super. What's up? Oh man, I, I don't I don't know how to do the Austin. Wah 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 wah. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I am an announcer. Uh, <laughs> he does toss the announcer voice out there, man. It's so good. He's so good at it. Um, uh, I'm Adam Jube, and we got uh, Derek Yarbrough and uh, Abe Schmucker on the line. What's up, buddies? What's up, threes? Hey, dude. Hey, what's up? We uh, we record and podcast. Threes we, company uh, today. Uh, it it uh, we try to get an Austin on here, but his wife is going to be gone for five days. So uh, so yeah, he's going to hang out with wife tonight. So um, this afternoon, um, Derek reminded me to put a post on our friendly neighborhood track Facebook page, Track Midwest, which ends up like being a, a Facebook page for places all over the world, but uh, there's like 5,000 people on there that do track day stuff. A lot of them are Slip Angle listeners, and I made a post about questions because we haven't done one of those in a couple hundred episodes. I think Austin and I were doing them for like the first, we did probably five or six of them, like in the first 20 episodes, and then we just totally forgot to do it. <laughs> so um, we made a questions post, and I had hoped for like, I don't know, 10, 15 questions, you know? <laughs> And um, now there's like 500 comments. <laughs> so it, uh, it's a bit of a mess. Um, I literally can't find the beginning of it because my, uh, my computer uh, and Facebook don't get along well. But uh, yeah, it's like Facebook, Facebook is totally impossible to navigate on this laptop. I don't know why. So anyway, we've all got it open. And we will uh, we'll answer some questions, I guess. So, um, yeah, that's gonna be a show. There's some there's some goofy fucking questions. In here. It's, it's gonna take a while to even get through a quarter of them. It's gonna take a while to just find the beginning of it. I saw one from Brad Adams that uh, that I did want to. Um, I did what that was it, one of them. I wanted to get. Is it about jorts? Uh, that was a good one too. Um, but now uh, starting it off with like an actual question. Um, Abe, especially since you're an Indy, uh, what is your favorite car to run in the Indy 500? And second question, how many people with the last name of Smith have ran in the Indy 500? He'll answer that one. Zero people, which I find hard to believe. Like everybody's got the last name Smith, but, um, well, yeah, you I'll guys, be the uh, first to admit that I am not, uh, extremely knowledgeable of, um, IndyCar. I've never I'm actually, actually been not the race. either. Um, I've never been to the race, uh, but, um, I have read a lot about the old stuff. So Derek, have you, have you ever followed IndyCar? Not really. Wasn't, I wasn't really into the oval racing at, at all until a bunch of the dinners with racers stuff. You hear some of the guys. Yeah. That actually has gotten me, um, a lot more interested in it also. The, uh, the dinner with racers podcast stuff. So um, I think I would want. There to, is, I'd want to do like stadium super trucks in the infield if I was gonna <laughs> do anything there. Yeah, there's so much room there. You can do a lot of things. But, um, there is one car that stands out to me, and I and I've talked about this book on the show. Not one car, but like one. It's kind of a car, but it's kind of a a group of engine. It's it's like an engine that really stands out to me. But um, if you've ever if you ever uh, have the chance to pick up, and this is kind of the reason I was drawn to this question. Brad and I have talked about you know. The, the golden era of indie cars, like back before Arrow had much to do with things, you know? Um, 
And there's one car uh, or one engine that stands out to me. And if you ever read the book uh, by Andy Granatelli, um, who was a famous uh, IndyCar team owner for many, many years, he, him and his brother started running Indy, I think, in the 20s, 30s. I can't remember. But um, back when you could, like, build a car in a garage, it was it was almost like Time Attack is now, where you could, like, build a car, and if you qualified, you could run Indy. Like, literally, that was how you ran Indy, like, pre-war. Um, and uh, and so, what's the book? I can't remember the book. Oh, They Call Me Mr. 500 is the book. Um, and you can find used copies on Amazon. It's from the 70s. Like, right after, um, when, it, when it was when he was at STP. Uh, he was just finishing up his career with STP. He was, like, the CEO of STP at the time, but... Um, and it was right after he had won with uh, Mario Andretti. So, but uh, yeah, so Andy Granatelli ran Indy for years and years and years. And uh, there was this one engine, the Novi V8, um, which it was developed in 1941. So it's like a late 30s project. The first time it ran in, was in 41. And the last Indy race it ran was in like 1966. So this engine ran Indy for like 25 years. Right. But it's a, it's a dual overhead cam V8 with no head gaskets. Like the heads and the block were all one casting. Um, or like maybe the block was split in the middle. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, dual overhead cam V8, and it made like ridiculous power. And uh, and they sound so cool because if you guys have ever heard of the Paxton Novi superchargers, which was like, you know, it's kind of a common centrifugal style blower, um, that... That supercharger was kind of named that because it was the style of blower that this engine used, and this engine was named after the town of town in Michigan, which was where the original builder was from, Novi, Michigan. Um, but yeah, it used a centrifugal blower, and the thing spun at like like fifty thousand RPMs, and like 50? it was it was super inefficient, like you know. But it had this crazy shrieking sound, um, and they started out making like four hundred fifty horsepower, like in nineteen forty one, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Out of a, and it was a three liter. It was not a big motor. Um, it was super wide though, big wide heads and stuff. But uh, I think the final iteration of it, it made like almost nine hundred horsepower in like sixty five. Uh, and the first car that it ran in actually was front wheel drive. A lot of the early early Indy cars were front wheel drive. So, so, and uh, yeah, it was such a cool motor. So if you get a chance, look up that engine and l- listen to some sound clips. So that was one thing I did want to talk about. I love the Novi V eight. It's and it's something you don't hear a lot of people talking about nowadays. So, so uh, I've never actually been to a race, and I don't follow it a ton. But uh, when Richard from England was uh, here in the states this summer, he had expressed some interest in going to the museum. So he came down and visited me for a couple of days, and mm-hmm. uh, we did go to the museum, which was super cool. Um, and uh, I I think the pre-war stuff is is just the coolest. Dude, because, some of it's so pretty too. Well, I, I just it would be very difficult for me to comprehend like not giving a shit mm-hmm. about driving the most rickety thing on the planet like no safety, as fast no as it will go. <laughs> yeah. And that's why so like ninety nine people cool. have died at Indy or something crazy like that. Like it's it's a large number, but some of the early days, like they were losing people constantly in the races. So, 
I don't know. The, uh, the, I love the, the pre-war and like the actually like the pre like nineteen sixty eight kind of stuff. Like before, I think I think late sixties is when they got into kind of adding wings. And I think race cars with wings are uglier than race cars without them. Um, like any kind of car. Like I, if you add a wing, I like it less usually. But yeah, I don't know. I love that uh, that Novi V eight though. Crazy supercharged V eight. It's just so it's so wild. So. Um, anybody else got a question they want to that stands out to them? We literally have like 150 questions. It's a mess. I do want to add to that last question that if I was going to say a favorite, it would be didn't Tony Stewart run the fastest anyone's ever ran there? I think you're right. I think so. Yeah, whatever year that was. I think it was in the 90s, mid 90s. That that would be my pick. That's the baddest one, yeah. fastest one. Some of those, some of those, those cars were pretty cool looking for you know for the modern era. I really do think that the brand new ones of the modern era, the brand new ones look pretty rad with the windshield. Like they're pretty cool. Yeah, they look way better than that last generation. <laughs> they look way better than the F1 flip flop too. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And I'm, I'm the Indy cars to... were really ugly. The last generation with the big side. Yeah, they things. they look messy. They look messy. Gosh, there's so many comments in here. This was such a mistake. <laughs> yeah, maybe next time post it on just a slip angle page instead of Track Midwest. Boys going yeah, wild. Uh, face, Facebook keeps this uh, keeps Track Midwest busy. So, Jeremy Swenson asks me what my favorite sex position is. Um, I don't have an answer for that one. I have to ask my wife, and that usually is um, sleeping facing opposite. Uh, uh, sides of the bed with no sex involved. So, um, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah, well, we've been married for like twelve years. It's a long time. So, lovely woman. I love my wife. Um, Scott Wolferth asks, "Do engines really run the best just before they fail?" You know, I've heard that said a lot. Like my dad told me that in like the in when I was like five. Um, and I didn't know what the heck he was talking about, but have you guys ever experienced that? Have you have you blown motors up? Uh, no, I haven't. But Scott has, right? He Scott uh, has his, ran, his blew up right in up. twelve, and then he went into the wall at Rotolana. Yeah, <laughs> blew up and it was in gear, and it locked everything up, and, <laughs> and flat spotted a bunch of tires straight into the wall. I've, so. I've only blown up motocross like dirt bikes, and uh, that's not true. They usually get slower than they blow up. They definitely get slower? Yeah. Especially the two strokes because the rings start to go. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what, uh, in motor, in motocross bikes with two strokes and four strokes, what is the, uh, like, what's the service interval for like a competitive race bike? So everyone's running four strokes now. Uh, like the top class would be like 450cc. Yeah, and a uh, piston every fifty hours and a crank every hundred hours. It's about normal. That doesn't seem that bad. That's a lot of hours. Yeah, well, it burns up quick though because you practice a whole lot more. Um, like oh, you practice yeah. like two or three yeah. times a week. Um, but and yeah. practice costs like eighteen dollars. Yeah, twenty five, thirty at the the real badass tracks. You know, <laughs> thirty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rad. Yeah. Can you imagine if HPDs could cost thirty dollars back, like, you know, like they probably did in the sixties when there were no HPDs. You could probably get on the track for twenty five bucks if you slipped it to the manager. You know, much much less uh. safe though. No no flaggers on practice days. So 
Someone wrecks. Oh yeah. Someone wrecks on a blind jump, and you know you just land on him. Oh man. So you just smash into <laughs> Billy on top yeah, of the poor on top of the step up. Poor Billy. <laughs> I, I imagine, Man. like, aren't those membership tracks like that, too? Like, if you have a membership at a club track and it's just a normal off day, then they don't have flaggers, right? Or I, I know a lot of tracks run, like, a really bare minimal staff. Um, but, yeah, it's probably super track dependent. A lot of the uh, a lot of the club tracks and like the country club tracks are starting to go towards the digital flagging too, to where they just have like one eye in the sky kind of watching, mm-hmm. and then they have uh, digital flags all over the place where they can kind of run the track with like one one control and like one safety guy. But yeah, I think um, it should go that way. I think it would be nice to have that and then lights in the cars too. I think it'd be nice to have that and then have like cheaper rentals because you have less people out on the track, you know. Yeah, but, exactly. I'm, although the cor- the corner workers typically aren't the most expensive portion of a track yeah. rental, but All right. Yeah, the, I've uh, got a question here. Uh Rob Fields says recently attended what was once a major open wheel race at Road Atlanta with rather abysmal turnout in the wings and things category compared to many years ago. Yeah. With small used formula cars costing less than a spec Miata, yet setting substantially faster lap times, what's keeping the masses in the big heavy GT cars instead of the lightweight purpose-built formula sports racers? Got any thoughts on that, Derek? Yeah. I I mean, I think safety is one. And then I think that the culture is really going more towards you start in a street car and do track days and then go into racing. And so you kind of I agree with stick, that. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Kind of stick with yeah. what you know, whereas back in the day, I, it was like you do comp school and then you go race, right? There was no HPDs. Yeah. The uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's partly – Partly safety, like even if you're talking about like my Fraser, which is basically an open wheel car with a body on it, you know, um, I'm a little afraid of that car. Like I don't want to crash that car, and it's built in the '90s, which is semi recently. But uh, I wouldn't want to stuff it into the wall. Like, yeah, wouldn't be that wouldn't be great at all. And more worried about getting hit by a big heavy car than hitting the wall in one of those things. Because yeah. those real light cars, like if you watch radicals run or any of those formula racers when they spin they they normally just spin and don't hit anything they're so light they just spin like a top and then stop but yeah and if they do hit something there's not a lot of momentum like you know they they bounce they bounce off and they're usually pretty strong but yeah you wouldn't want to get pinned in between a wall and a big car and you wouldn't really want to get smashed by a big car but yeah and there's a lot of places um, where they they race together you know yeah i think i think i think Part of it, though, for me would be like if if for me personally, I'm drawn more towards cars that I can relate to, um, and I think a lot of people are too. Um, cars with bodies, you know, that that are like based on you know street cars, um, and I can really see the allure of like insane capabilities of like a, a Formula Atlantic or like a Formula Enterprises or a Formula Mazda or you know an NPO one or whatever, um, or even my Fraser, like the, the capability and like the potential is certainly there and they're probably fun as crap to drive. Um, but there's something like that, that like, I don't daydream about those cars. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. It's like a it's like a visceral like a, it's a, I daydream about like about like um a streetcar full cage containment seat and a sequential and just you know banging gears around road America or you know mid Ohio or whatever it's there it's a it's a I think it's a deeper connection to to a car that you can really relate to something that you can see every day on the road so well and you know Adam and I especially you know we get uh, a chance to see some really crazy cars that come out to events and you know people sometimes show up with Ferraris and Lamborghinis and you know I I admire those things for the the engineering that went into them but yeah. um the, they like they don't I don't know jazz me up in the same way as like a a a car that's been built by a person with uh like you know all of their life savings and all of their time right it's it's just a little bit different and I don't know how many people uh, that that would come to events within the Midwest have uh, enough talent to go one extremely fast, but also enough money that they could ride off a car like that if they stuff it. So sometimes you see cars like that that are cool, but they're not being driven to their potential, right? Because few of us have talent to do yeah, that. Yeah, not, not usually. Yeah, and I think the um, the question was really more geared towards the real cheap formula racers like i don't know what classes they are but i know there are some pretty cheap ones that are slow but still faster than a spec miata um yeah like uh austin had uh the guy from toyo tires on recently um and he raced uh formula mazdas which is like a sealed uh rotary powered car and you can pick up like a totally dialed one for like sub 20 grand um and like pretty and big fields and some yeah, like real fast and some big big fields in some areas of the country and like as fast as like all but like an unlimited time attack car, you know, like pretty fast. And like super low run costs and like a lot of a lot of cool things about it. Um but like I don't know, I'm uh, I'm kind of guilty of the it doesn't it doesn't like stir my soul. Uh some people, it, it, that kind of stuff really does, though. Like, people, there's a lot of people that, like, you know, they they're glued to F1 cars, like to to watching them, and like they daydream about them. And they, same thing with indie cars and stuff like that. But um, I think it's, uh, I think there's kind of a there's a car for everybody, uh, and and a lot of times they're stupid ones. <laughs> Evos are stupid. Evos are, and so are dumb old Hondas. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's it's such a it's such a personal preference kind of thing, you know. Yeah, you know how I feel about that. Just whatever whatever cars have good good uh, numbers in the race classes. That's all I really care. Yeah, D- Derek is more. You've you've always you always talk about like really wanting you know the you want the the end result of the car. You don't really care about the car. Yeah, if I could buy like, it done, that would be ideal. Yeah. You know. I almost don't care about the, the drive end result even, as much. Be even better. Yeah, if you could just swipe the credit card and like, then you're there and it's all good. And yep. you're just racing. You know, if yeah. if I had the foresight to to stop myself from doing all this Evo stuff in the beginning, like, uh, what I would do is probably buy the dirtiest, cheapest, rattiest radical in the United States. And I would probably drive the wheels off of that because in terms of like a visceral experience, oh, it'd so probably good. be hard to match that. Yeah. I'll tell you the uh, the Fraser real cheap. It's basically that. 
It has to run first. A bunch of a bunch it of, does run. A bunch of guys in, right now. in Texas run those radicals. So one of my good buddies, Sam, that's what he has. And I'm going to get him do a podcast with him soon. Uh, but he'll be a good Is person. Is he the guy who used to own your car? No, that's Chris. Isn't that's another okay. guy with the radicals? Sam, <laughs> Sam is the one that has the EG Civic as well. Um, okay. Oh yeah, the, the super light one. Yeah. yeah, and then he's got a radical. But I'll talk about it with him. But it'd be a good person to to talk about running them. I mean, prices added up add up on those things too. Yeah, you know everything. But like you can see, you see radicals for like sub sub thirty thousand sometimes. They probably need something, and they're probably smaller engines. Yeah, and stuff, I mean they're but... they're just like a dirt bike. You know, the, everything wears out faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Engine and trans mainly is going to need to be gone through. Yeah, and like um, he he had to get a wiring harness for his. You know, it's special. It's got to come from Radical. You know, he's waiting a month oh, okay. for it. You know, it costs a you know a ton. I can't remember how much, but a lot. Yep. The uh, he, yeah, he the loves maintenance costs on those things aren't terrible if until they break. But. Yeah, until they break, and it's different if if you want to keep it up to spec to run like the Radical Series races and stuff, you have to use their sealed motors. You know. Okay. Now, if you want to just throw in, you know, a takeout motor off eBay or whatever, it's going to be slower and cheaper, but you won't be able to run those spec races. And if you don't have anybody Do you- to race against, then what's the point of having it? Well, there's still some uh, there's some fun in just track driving them, but um, Scott Singpeel, who's he, he's uh, one of the Snap-on guys, he's kind of a, the Grid Life Snap-on like representative. Mm-hmm. He lives uh, he lives around here. He's got a he's got one he bought pretty cheap, um, and he just comes out and does HPDE with it because it's like the most thrilling thing for him. Um, and his is an older one, but uh, he hasn't done a whole lot to it. Like all he does is change the oil on it, but he doesn't put that many hours on it either. Um, have you ever looked underneath of those? Do you know, like do you, most of them have like a quaif sequential, which it must be tied. It must, they must eliminate the motorcycle gearbox on the high abuse powered ones. But. I don't think so. <laughs> don't quote me on this podcast fans, but yeah, I, I'm wondering I th- how that works. I think it's a, a quaif diff, unit that has a reverse in it oh okay okay yeah like they attach they attach it to the motorcycle trans but it has like a lever activated reverse that makes yeah so it's got like the quay it's got like a version of the quay reversing box that a lot of the the bike powered guys uh bike powered car guys use yeah something like that Okay, that makes sense. That would make a lot more sense because it's uh, if you read on the uh, Moto IQ for years has had this uh, uh, high Busa powered Miata build that I think Dave Coleman and some buddies are building, um, and they get like deep into the guts of a high Busa like dry <laughs> and like they they eliminate the transmission and they like like it's super invasive to eliminate the the motorcycle gearbox, but. Um, that would make that would make a lot more sense. Man, I'm looking through this thread and it's just a bunch of silly these geese. What a bunch of silly geese! There was a comment about silly geese too. I don't know why uh, I say silly geese. I'm really not sure where I got that. It might have been from Jim Norton on Opie and Anthony like 12 years ago. So Dewey asks a bunch of uh, more grid life focused questions, but this is like current events also. Um, what do you guys uh, uh, think about um, the electric car competing at Superlap Battle 
and how that kind of shook out. I don't know. I think it should have just uh, ran as a car. I don't think they should have disallowed it on the podium. But I think there was a little bit there. I haven't read. All, I've like skimmed all the articles on it, but it seems like that was that that reaction was kind of staged. But um, I don't know exactly. But I th- I don't think electricity is a fuel personally. Um, I felt the same way. Um, to me, a, a fuel, um, I guess coming from my professional background, a fuel is uh, something that has to be consumed. And, you know, it, it's... Although technically it the to, electricity is consumed. Uh, electricity is not really consumed. It's converted into, you know, momentum, I guess. But Yeah, it, to me, like batteries just, they're not the same thing as fuel, right? Um, um, so in, in the past we've had, uh, I don't know, it wasn't this car, but it was it, the same, uh, Sasha from, uh, from on point dyno up in Canada. He was part of the effort out at super lab battle. Um, mm-hmm. and he brought a car. I don't think it was the same car. Maybe it was, um, to grid life Midwest festival. And, yep. uh, uh, it was a model three and he also brought a Tesla powered, um, like a, a Vora type thing. Yeah, it was, it was Tesla. It was another Lotusy type thing. It wasn't a Tesla Roadster. It was like an early Roadster. It was a it was a new Lotus. Yeah, but um, yeah, he used all the power at the tower. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the uh, we let him run because it was we have a clause in there that allows basically exemptions. And now we have in, in next year's rules. Um, uh, we have talked about it, uh, that electric-powered vehicles, in the general rules, electric-powered vehicles basically need to be classed by GridLife staff ahead of time. So they just have to let us know that they're coming. Uh, and we'll tell them where they're going to be. So, um, yeah. Derek, what do you think about uh, EV-powered cars on track? Is that a fuel? Um, I don't... I don't know. I mean, that just really more comes down to like a rules, kind of nitpick, yeah. nitpicking the rules. It's sort of just whatever the organizer decides to yeah. say it is, because that fuel's kind of arbitrary, I guess. It's really up to your definition of fuel, because mm-hmm. really the 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 rules dictate. You know, if it says so in the rules, you kind of. We've had problems like this uh, in the past with grid life, where it's like. Man, that's totally within the spirit of the rules, but it says this right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was it? In 2017, we were uh, trying to figure out, like, uh, Lexan windows in S2000, uh, you know, aftermarket hardtops. Replica yeah. hardtops or something. It was it was the most bizarre thing ever, yeah. but it was like, well, uh, that's what it says. I Technically, don't know. it wouldn't have been allowed uh, in our street class because it doesn't, it says that. Lexan windows aren't allowed. It specifically says it. And like the spirit of the rules is like, no, you, you know, they only come with this Lexan and we allow the hard top. Um, and it turned out that Jackie Ding had actually put real glass into his, which is probably more of a safety hazard than anything. But uh, Jackie had read the rules closely enough uh, and actually had actual glass in there. But um the and there there's other there's been other things like you know little wording problems um that, and like cars that didn't pull all the parts all the all the fenders off so we didn't know actually you know that the unibody was actually gone and it was converted to 
you know, different pickup points and stuff like that. Um, and then when we, you know, it, it, it can cause trying to stick to the wording of the rules. Yeah. Because those are the rules you start the season with. Um, it can be a, it can be a problem. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to have to figure out the EV stuff because it's just going to keep coming, you know, more and more and more, especially in time attack. We know where you just need to do yeah. one lap. I, I think our first step, you know, probably for the next few years until they become very popular is just going to be, you know, we'll classify and it'll probably be based solely on tire choice, you know. Yeah, most um, likely. Yeah. Yeah. Ba we'll tire and arrow, really. We'll classify them, you know, before the event. Car, well, case by case uh, basis kind of stuff. This but. is, I guess, kind of tangentially related, but you know, we talk about a little bit about those gotcha moments and those rules. Um, James Forbes uh, had a C6 Corvette, um, and he he showed up to our first or to our event at Autobahn this year, and you could tell immediately that the wing height on this thing was inches above the roof line, and. Yeah. Uh, yep. In the class that he was competing, that's that's not allowed. And gotta be flush, yeah. You know, I, I went out and I, I brought our what six foot long level and uh started talking to him. He's like, dude, this car's a hatchback. This is allowed. And I was like, shit. It so, sort of is, yeah. We don't have a hatchback definition. <laughs> so I thought that was really clever. And he's asked um like I, I really admire him as a competitor because he, he's asked a bunch of really, really smart questions. Yep. Um having gone through the rule book. And if uh you know, I know that he uh struggles with free time and availability, but if he does, you know, find time in a schedule to come out and compete in any series, not just ours. He's a heck of a driver, and he's a good racer. Because yeah. to me, Real a racer good racer is, is the too. one that understands how to build the right mousetrap for the for the task. Exactly, and I think that's part of the uh, that's part of the fun for me of, and I've never been a real successful racer mainly because of time and money. You know, I'm always running cast off crap, but like most of the fun of racing for me has been like reading the rule book 40 times and trying to find the hole, you know, and, th and that can occupy the back corner of your brain while you're doing your mundane task at work. And while you're watching the show at night that you don't really care about because your wife's super into it. And you're thinking about like aftermarket pedal boxes using OEM pedal boxes also and stuff like that. So, um, now rules and torturation is sort of most of the fun for the builders kind of classes, which time attack is definitely a builder's class. So the, uh, yeah, w that was part of the reason that I, um, I kind of took a, uh, a feather from the SCCA hat and I'm sure other groups have it, but like the, the technical glossary kind of thing, um, which, uh, Abe and I started working on a little over a year ago, probably, um, to basically help define words in your rule set, uh, that can kind of, it can be something that fixes a lot of those problems, which is kind of fun. So kind of fun to, to figure out the best definition for some of these words too, you know, here's a cool, to, a cool question whenever you're, let's go see. ahead. I'll, I'll stop rambling. <laughs> yeah. You, once you wind Adam up, yeah, he, he'll keep going. All yeah, right, baby. All right. So Matt Daru says, if you could have a track car of each drivetrain, front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, and all-wheel drive, what would it be? Be specific with make, model, and trim. No specific level of prep. 
anywhere from mild to wild. Hmm. Ooh, I have some good answers for this. Go nuts, man. Front wheel drive. I would have Levi's car. You'd have a basic old EF with a big motor in it. That is, that yeah. is a good one. I love that car. It's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Um, uh, all wheel drive. I think I'd I'd pick Ranvex car. Brandon Ranvex Evo is probably one of the nicest in the country, and it's fast and it's driven by a really good driver. Is that an Evo um, Nine? What is yeah, that? Yeah, describe, it, describe it's the a nine cars RS. A yep. With a uh, Voltex so, wide body kit and yeah, yeah, it's pretty terrific. And then I guess in the rear wheel drive, uh, you know, all those Southwest Ohio guys have awesome Corvettes. Uh, you know, Paul Curley's vet's pretty awesome. Danny Pops is pretty awesome. Those cars are pretty sick. But yeah. uh, Luke McGrew has a Viper ACR, one of the newer ones. And uh, I've been in the passenger seat with him a few times, and I have never been in a car in my life that was so planted, even if you're chucking it around on purpose, trying to have some fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just stuck. Yeah. Those are, those are race cars. <laughs> Vipers are basically race cars. <laughs> I don't know. I got to keep thinking about this one, Derek, you got, uh, yeah, who'd you build? I would, I would just go all, all ready to go race cars. Front wheel drive. I'd do the Honda TCR car. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that would probably that probably just scratch the the total itch there, but if and then rear wheel drive, I would just do whatever the newest Porsche Cup car is. Yeah. And then all wheel drive. Did any of you ever play the old Grand Turismo and they had that Suzuki hill hill climb car? The Heck Suzuki yeah. Escudo. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I speak edition. But I would want. Was it, this, I, I would it, want was that. it a Scudo? What was that? I'm I'm sure I'm saying that. That's right. right. Yeah. It's probably the only red car I like. Yeah, the Monster Tajima car. Yeah. Yeah, and I would I would try to take it to the unlimited time attack boys in that thing. Yeah, I could slam that thing down and play with play with suspension. <laughs> um, I don't know what I would do. I think in a perfect world, like even if like budget was no option, I'd prop for front wheel drive. I'd probably keep my old hatchback that I'm building right now. Um, especially since I just painted the roll cage and it's time to finally assemble it. But, um, just because that's like, you know, got this emotional connection, which is dumb, but, um, rear wheel drive for, I think for all around, cause, and, and part of my, and part of my thinking with track cars goes to consumables and stuff, you know, uh, a lightweight car is always really, really what I want. Um, I think if you look at some of the F production Lotus Sevens uh, that people race with SCCA nationally, uh, there are some freaking wild ones, and some of them are just so cool. Uh, there's this one guy out in California. He used to be the, the like the crew chief for Real Time Racing back in the day, and his I think his Instagram is Power underscore Technic. Um, but he's he preps a couple of them for people, and they're just so freaking cool. They're so cool. And they're so light, um, even with dumb old engines. But and then all-wheel drive. I don't know. That one's tough. The all-wheel drive. That one is tough. Like, I don't think about all-wheel drive cars very much. But I think if it's an all-around car, like if it's not just a track car, I'd probably, I'd probably get like a uh, an eight hundred horsepower like 
996 Turbo. <laughs> it's just something stupid that you can do half mile events with and then like pick up your uh, you know, your friends from the airport and stuff like that. That, I think that uh, that leads I, into another question. Eric Kutul says, "Eric, cool kid. Yeah, w- whatever his name is, he says, pick one: an EF Civic or five Porsches." I'll let uh, I'll let everyone go first because I think I'd know what they'd say. Uh, let's see. At Honda Meet, uh, I got to hang out with a guy who had a. Jeremy Jabay Fab turbo kit into an EF Civic. Oh yeah, we and built that car nine years ago. It is yeah. the coolest. Yeah, uh, the, like the turbo on that car is probably like torque. I don't know. I mean, three times too large. No, and it's GT twenty eight RS. Hard, it's actually it's, it's actually pretty well sized. But. Um, I thought he had a precision something on that. No, that's a GT28 RS, I think. Okay. Or it was. Um, it was at but one point. That, like, as as a car to just drive around, that car was, like, the coolest thing ever. And it, yeah, it's a nice it, little car. It just, the way it made power just put this, like, fun little grin on your face. I mean, it was, that's a cool car. Yeah, it's got good rolling power. But would you take it over five Porsches? Uh, depends on the Porsches, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. <laughs> Uh, if if the five Porsches are running, um, and if I can sell them, I would take the Porsches and then buy whatever I wanted. Uh, but if I have to sit with all five cars or one EF, um, even I'm not dumb enough to say that I would take an EF. I would take five Porsches. Yeah, I uh, unless it's like I mean, obviously I'll never be able to afford anything like this. But um, yeah, right, Abe. The, Come on. Like, like the design of the Singer cars. Um, that particular style and era of Porsche, those really get me going. Yeah, air-cooled Porsches I are cool. I really like those. Abe, Abe, you're a doctor. Your wife's a doctor. Eventually, those student loans will be paid, man. You're going to be on the singer list in like six months. Eventually. <laughs> I think yeah, man. we're making like extra payments, and I think at some point, maybe in the next like seven years, they'll be paid off. Yeah, you're about to sell your uh, your place in Chicago, your little condo that you bought while you were, while you were here. It's going to be ball in town, man. It's it's rough. It will be lucky if we sell it. <laughs> as soon as you get past this uh, PayPal dispute about your rear differential, you'll be fine. Oh, I, I haven't talked about that on the show. <laughs> no. So uh, in August, I sold a transfer case that was built by John at TRE. Um, like the to dude to a, build them. Yeah. A guy out west. And everything was cool. He was super friendly and like, I mean, he paid right away. No big deal, whatever. Uh, He sends me a note like, I don't know, a week ago. And he says he's having problems with the transfer case. And uh, like, he's got to figure it out. The, The car's at the shop. And they've done the inspection, and they've just figured it out that it's a um, that it's a manufactured defect. John screwed it up somehow, and uh, he's gonna do a um, a claim with PayPal. And he's like talking to me like this, kind of trying to be friendly about it, and and telling me how to handle it with eBay or with PayPal, so that he gets his money back, and I don't have to give him his money back. And I was like, I don't think that's a thing. That's not a thing. And so. Yeah. Uh, I started to look into it and I, you know, I, I talked to John on the phone, which is like super rare anyway, cause you can't get a hold of that guy ever. Um, but he, he called me and he was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll help him out. And you know, if he has trouble and if it's something we screwed up, of course we'll fix it. 
Mm-hmm. But he sends me a note and says, well, John, John denied anything because it's out of warranty. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound right. And then he told me that the shop that he was working with, uh, identified the problem and there was some internal gasket failure and a bunch of fluids that aren't supposed to mix together, mixed together. Now I, I was like, okay, that sounds weird. Uh, and so I, I got in contact with the shop directly and I was like, Hey guys, like I sold this guy apart. Uh, what's going on? And they replied back with, yeah, dude, we don't, we don't know. We've not seen the car. He just like, he called us about it like a week ago and he, He's, he's just got some like random issue and we don't know what the problem is. The like, shop hasn't even seen it. Cool. And so the then last night in my inbox, uh, PayPal had a reverse charge on my account and I have to go through this dispute where I've got conversations with everybody saying that no one's looked at the car yet. And this guy wants his money back because I sold him a faulty part. What a freaking nightmare. Ugh. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, if I, if I had well. to guess, I would say that PayPal will somehow side with him and this will become my problem. But yeah, you know. it, it might be, it might end up being your problem. Derek, would you take five Porsches or an EF? Five Porsches as long, as long as they just weren't all crappy models. I mean, if there were a couple crappy models, that's okay. But as long as I get one, well, one what's a one crappy Google. model Porsche, like a broken 914 or what? <laughs> yeah, a, bro- all- a broken 914, a broken 924. They're all 912s with a like uh, rotted, with, with, with rotted like heater things so that you get carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, I mean, like if you. I really like the 912s. I think that that shape is like super classic. Well, the 912 is a 911 with yeah, just a shooting motor. It's a VW a bug motor. motor in it. <laughs> Which would be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'd still look cool. Yeah, but, they look great. You know, as long as I mean, if you're saying one really clean EF, you know, sixty thousand mile EF or one cool track car EF versus a bunch of junky Porsches, I'll take the EF. But yeah, um, that's still probably not the right money move. You <laughs> junky Porsches are still worth more money. Totally not the right money move, man. Like the best EF ever is worth like twenty grand. <laughs> Yeah, like if we were in this for making the smart seats. money decisions, none of us would be involved with anything that we currently that's, do. That's, that's true. true. If if we were in this to make money, um, I wouldn't be doing this podcast, and I wouldn't be doing Grid Life, and I, uh, I probably wouldn't be doing cars at all. <laughs> yeah. There's another yeah. question by Ron Spear, and it's kind of a deep question. He says, "Rank these in order: natural skill, seat time, money." And I guess he's, you know, I guess his uh, intent is towards, you know, how good a driver is or fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Abe, hey, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you could answer this question a million ways, right? So natural skill to me is going to be important because I do think that that is probably what draws you into the hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to have some interest in it. And if you suck at it, you're probably not going to stick with it and get the seat time, right? So, uh, but I guess much like if if your hobby was yachting, uh, having some amount of money is important if you're going to do track car stuff. So, I don't know. It's they're all important, and I think if you have natural skill and money, you don't have a problem getting seat time. So, seat time is probably the least important. Yeah, the kind of the, the seat time would play into the money thing. <laughs> yeah, I, that's true. I think the money, 
money I think is last on on the side though with a with a disclaimer that the money is sort of a bell curve, you know, like it matters up until it doesn't. That's true. You know, like if you've got enough money to have a Civic on good tires or a Miata on good tires and go, you know, run it 12, 12 weekends a year or 20 weekends a year or whatever. Once you have that, then then having more money is not really going to make you any better except for maybe hiring a real good coach or something. Yeah. Um, I think I think natural talent um, really I think it almost doesn't exist I think it's more a natural inclination and then like your ability to pick up the skill set um, I don't think anybody really could there, there's nobody in the world that like you know if they didn't have any exposure to cars or driving of anything they you could just put them in a car and they would do well I think everybody would kind of suck Um but I think your natural inclination, and and I think Ross Bentley hates the term, hates the word like you know, uh, the, unnatural because he feels yeah. like he can train anybody I've into it. I've heard that a ton on his podcast. Uh, I disagree yeah. with this yeah. myself. I I I think I think really the the there is some natural ability, and I think most of that is just the amount of inclination that you have towards loving cars and like the amount of like driving you do. You know what I mean? Like or like even video games. Yeah, obviously video game a good sim and stuff can, can can really turn somebody into a good driver. But I think the, the inclination or like the passion for it, I think that's really gotta be first. And then um seat time I think is next because uh if you have enough money to have a car, you can get seat time uh if you work for it. I mean it, it there's a lot of ways to get seat time, even just uh, even just helping, you know, helping with events or instructing or um, even being a pit crew and you could, you know, pit crew for a pro team and trading, trading. And like, there's so many stories of how people got the seat time that they got. You know what I mean? Um, I think first it's got to be the natural ability, which I would really call it more like the love and the inclination and the obsession. It's to me. I think it's more. You have to have that obsession, or else it's not going to happen. So uh, you have to be a crazy person who will ruin Eric your life. Cattiel asks. Hold on. I want to. I want to finish this question. All right. Okay. Sorry to back you up there, but damn it, Abe. <laughs> Abe's jumping the gun, man. All right. Man. Yeah. So uh, story of my life. <laughs> um, I think I would put. I would put seat time as most important to get better as a driver, right? Like, if you don't go, you're not going to get any better. Um, and then next I would put natural skill, and then next I would put money. And on the natural skill slash talent thing, and I know Ross Bentley disagrees, right? He thinks that the things that you do as a child, you know, maybe you do other sports as a child that help you develop things that transfer over, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I, coming from motocross, which is a sport that everyone does really young, you know, like three and four years old, you just yeah. see from the get-go some kids just have it, you know. Um, like look at Tom O'Gorman. You know, he's done a lot of work and a lot of practice, but, I mean, I think that he just has something that other people don't have, you know. Uh I, th I think it's. Uh, I think that's. There's some truth to that. It, but um, but yeah. 
as you know a sidestep to that i think that if you don't have that natural right away ability i think that you can work towards it and get that good but you have to put extra work in but i think that yeah, there that, require, are, that requires time and money yeah. yeah i think there are a few individuals that you know that just take to something and they're just they're great at it i mean you can see it in little league kids playing basketball football i mean some kids yeah, just yeah. pick stuff up really fast or right away yeah and i think i would call that natural talent or skill but i, I put seat time at the top because if you have if you can get enough seat time in and you figure out a way then you know the natural skill you can you can rectify not having all of that yeah there are definitely people who pick things up faster um that's for sure and that's a conversation uh, do they pick it up faster or do they you know, already have a little natural ability there. It's kind of the same thing, you know, different ways to. Even in like, in like in my day job in like construction and like a lot of it is small detail work. Um, and I've had like a lot of high school teenage kids uh, come to be helpers for summer and stuff. Um, and like most of them don't, most of them don't even know how to, how to do anything. And like they have no natural mechanical ability, and I think that is that's super common um, in the, in the population. There's there's people who just don't work with their hands, and they're probably never going to be that good at it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's but, and then there's people who like started doing it when they were two, like me. I mean, yeah. I'm not the best mechanic or anything, but I've worked my hands forever. You know. And then there's some people who maybe have never done it, but pick it up a little quicker. You know, yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Like there's people, there's people who get it immediately. I, I, I think I would put myself in the category of, you know, zero natural talent, but I get obsessed about things and then do it over and over again. So I try and get, you know, as good yeah. as the other guys. So it comes fast, and that's working on yeah. the car too. You know, like the first time I change suspension in my car or anything like that, you know, it takes me fucking all weekend. You know, yeah. Um, and then the next time it's faster, right? Yeah. But I, I got a question that I uh, that I want to see. Uh, I want to hear your answer, Abe, and, uh, and I'm curious about what Derek thinks too. Um, Alex Moss asked, "What are your feelings on the transition of Time Attack from grassroots to a more professional level of motorsports? We are seeing more and more professionalization in all aspects of the sport, and the materials and designs being used in the build of cars, the trackside operations, with the professional drivers being hired at the top end of competition. Do you see that as being good, bad, or indifferent?" Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't want to say indifferent, but I, I don't have feelings about it either way. I don't think that it's bad for the sport, but, um, what I think that that is a reflection of is there's a, a kind of a big void space in professional racing, um, because of homologations and super strict rule sets. And there is, no great place for builders to play none in the in the professional space it's just the the rules aren't equipped to do that and so time attack is a natural fit for those people and the those that have i guess an engineering mindset that love the challenge of building as much as they do the challenge of driving yeah and i think that a lot even a lot of like wheel to wheel classes like there's no place uh, unless you run in like a catch-all group, there's no place for people to play with like a real. I mean, there's a few classes that it's that there's a, that there's less you know restriction, but there's and maybe this has something to do with like uh, you know broadcast on television, I guess, because 
balance of performance is, is a thing that you have to be mindful of if you're going to broadcast something. Yeah. Um, because just pure dominance isn't actually all that interesting to watch. No. Uh, but um, at the same time, I think you have to give some freedom to to the people who have passion and are inspired to to build cool things. Yeah, what do you think, Derek? Mm, yeah, I don't. I don't think it really really matters one way or the other for for a time attack, as long as the rules stay open. Whether they get it more professional and more people get involved, um, I think it's. I, I'm kind of neutral, neutral on the the time attack thing. I, I do like the engineering in the in the unlimited cars. I think they're they're really neat to look at, and to see, uh, <clears throat> to see James go, you know, almost GT3 speeds in an Integra, you know, which is a car I delivered pizza in in grad school for you know forever. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like seriously, it's like you know this this car needed an alignment and shook at seventy miles an hour. And it's kind of scared to even run it up to a hundred, and then he's out there, you know, going one seventy in an Integra and going as fast as a DT three car. I just think it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty cool. I mean, I have a go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I want to see the the cars keep getting crazier. The unlimited cars, if that's if that means more sponsors and more, you know, more professionalism coming in to let the cars get crazier. I think that's the the best thing about Time Attack is how cool the cars are. Whereas in Wheel to Wheel. I like it more to be about the drivers, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, comparing it to wheel to wheel, there's got to be like a fine line of of like almost the end point of not development, but of like outright pace in wheel to wheel. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know when we're gonna. And there's another question about this we can go to later, but I don't know when we're gonna find the end of unlimited time attack because um, you can put a lot, you can put. Giant, you can you can do anything. Yeah, you can go it's as unlimited. fast as you want. Like, like in wheel like to there's w- like four. There's like four rules. In wheel to wheel, <laughs> once you start shortening the braking zones too short, the racing starts to suck. Um, yeah. But in in time attack, that's not a problem, right? You want to see the cars make as much sparks and and go as fast as they as fast as they can. Yeah, I I think the professionalization is just kind of a natural. Um, like if you look at any kind of uh, series that has existed over the past, however, you know, a past 80 years, um, it's gone, like we, we were, we were talking about an Indy earlier. Um, basically in the Indianapolis 500 many, many decades ago, um, was sort of like show up and like, they hope they got a field. Um, and like people built cars and they towed them behind their mom's, you know, like station wagon. Like literally, they towed them behind their mom's station wagon on like borrowed boat trailers that they put plywood on, um, and that was the Indy 500. And now, now look what it is now. And like F1 was always, it seemed like F1 was always like a tick more professional, but like it was still like four dudes in like a greasy shop in England like building stuff. Um, sure. Yeah, that's how and, everything and, is. And, and then now the, it's gone to like a team of CFD engineers that teaches the mechanics and the other engineers how to engineer things and it's all computers and and it's different um i wonder when i wonder if eventually time attack will uh will cease to be cool because of the progression um or at least to the drivers like 
but at least there's more classes of it. You know what I mean? There's always going to be a base class, a middle class, a third class, and a top class or whatever, you know. The uh, the challenge that I see ahead for uh, time attack in the United States and maybe globally is um, the, the amount of money available, you know, to, to build the most insane thing on the planet. Um, you know, if you're looking for partner dollars, uh, you're competing with your peers uh, for those resources. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that I really, really admire and respect about the rule set that Brock put together for One Lap of America is because of the way the rules have been designed, the most expensive car or the team with the largest budget doesn't necessarily win. And at, at the moment, explain? I think that there, there's, uh, there's some challenges with Time Attack because, you know, when you have the most resources, you can do the most aero development. And I think that can translate into the biggest performance advantage. And so uh, uh, with, with, without lap, some how, kind of checks and balances, I think it's going to be really difficult. You know, yeah, to I keep, think on the top end of time attack, I agree. Yeah. There has to be some kind of, uh, I don't know, financial check or something in the rules that, that makes it so that you can't necessarily win because of the size of a budget. Yeah. Uh, with it's with regards to one lap, like how how is how is that? Um, what do you mean as far as like the biggest checkbook can't win at one lap? Well, um, you, you can imagine that uh, a team put together by Toyota or Honda or, or whomever, um, if if they could have a set of new tires every single day because they wanted the biggest uh, or like okay. the best option on tire. Um, not an option that, in one lap. It, it, it's it's forbidden in the rules. You have to run on one set, and that means that like, okay, well, having more money in that case doesn't necessarily help you. Yeah. So I mean, like what Chris? Yeah, I wasn't thinking about the tires. Tina yeah. won uh, in a but a, a new ish or a C seven Z O six. Not yeah. too crazy of a build, but a really good driver, really reliable, and and they were able to win this year. And it, I he, mean, he claimed he's against, a uh, he claimed he's a slip angle listener too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I ended up talking to him at uh, the finish at South Bend. I mean, they're cool yeah. people, and uh, that race there are crazy wild cars that get entered every year, and there's super expensive cars that get entered every year. And yeah. also big budget teams like Honda and Toyota, but the winner isn't necessarily the one that has the most, you know, go fast doodads. Yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of that's part of the reason I'm not drawn to Time Attack personally. Like from, like if I, I'm drawn to I'm drawn to it because of like, it's more me against myself. Um, but I'm not drawn to unlimited time attack because it seems, uh, it seems like, uh, like it would make you crazy eventually because there's never going to be an end to it. It's like the post office, you know, the mail just keeps coming. Um, but it's also, I'm really glad that people are drawn to it because the show that like James and Will and Andy and, and pro awesome. And they you know, like it, and and Richard Boke and the Can Jam guys, like it's the coolest show. I'm just glad I'm not in that show. <laughs> it seems like a difficult show to be in. But, 
Um, I have, uh, I, th- I had another one here. Where is it? Oh, uh, Mike Cohn. Uh, good old Mike Cohn. Our, uh, one of our uh, Good Life main organizers, producer, I don't know what we call Mike Cohn. Mike Cohn wants to have a title, but he doesn't have a title yet because he just, he does everything because he can do everything. Um, what was our fat, what was our favorite moment this past season and in the past five years? Um, I guess that could be like in our personal track seasons. Um, but, uh, well, doesn't quite have to my, be a grid life thing. But. Well, my my cool life events happen to be often grid life related. Um, I guess as a driver, uh, finishing and making it through the one lap of America in sixteen, and having had almost like no co- uh, competition experience before that, and like not doing too bad given the circumstances, like that was that was a goal that I had set for myself uh, two years ahead of that. Um, having read one of Matt Farah's articles about the event, I just, at that time I knew it was something I had to do. And so I spent two years prepping. It's so bizarre just to read it off an article. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, as soon as I finished, I mean, I was so exhausted. I, I got back home to, to my hometown in Indiana and, uh, we, it was like three or four o'clock on Sunday after the banquet and everything had wrapped up. And, uh, I think I slept for like 18 hours. I mean, it was like I had two years worth of exhaustion just like released at that moment. <laughs> um, as a driver, that was that was a pretty proud accomplishment. But uh, the thing I guess I'm most proud of at all is uh, at Midwest Festival this year um, on Saturday, uh, I was basically standing at the front of the grid for what seemed like about six hours. And we, the, the show in this case was our, our bracket competition and drift back to back to back. And yeah. it was so, uh, it was like, intense. It, it was so intense and just like sensory overload that I, I, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And I like, I chase that at events now and, uh, it's going to be a hard that, one to that's top. That's all yeah. I want to do. Yeah. It's gonna be a hard one to top. Derek, what was your favorite thing this year that you did car-wise? And then in the last, you've only been doing car stuff for like four years. Right? Yeah, three or three-ish years. Um, so this year, proudest thing is starting the year in graduate school and uh, getting a car caged and getting through comp school and driving the car to comp school uh, from my apartment <laughs> And, that is sort of rad. I love that. <laughs> and, then, and then back after, um, getting through with no incidents, no no problems, uh, in the rain. I think that would be the you know for some people that's not a big deal, but but for you know now with you know with the money I'm making in my career, it wouldn't be near as hard. But the, at that time, I was driving for Lyft, and every dollar in that couple of months went towards that goal, and uh, barely scraped by and got it done. Yeah, uh, you hear a lot of people like uh, I've read a lot of threads about like you know, can I get advice for comp school, right? And everybody says um, get lots of sleep, uh, have a crew member there. You don't want to work on your car, blah blah blah. And like <laughs> Derek just freaking winged it <laughs> all by all by himself. It's the best. Yep just just showed up, 
Um, yeah. And that, that was it. It was it didn't even have rain tires. <laughs> it ran on the street no. tires. Had you like five year old street tires or whatever. Yeah. But super fun. Well, and that's pretty cool. And for anyone thinking about everything needs to be perfect to get through comp school, I mean really all you do is just drive at eight tenths and, and don't bump into anything or anybody and that's it. You know, it's not try to learn as much as you can and don't crash, yeah. Yeah. Well that's general advice for going to the track for first timers too. Realistically, right? like just, yeah. <laughs> everyone uh or often you see on these Facebook threads or on the forums or whatever you know, people say, I can't go do X, Y, Z yet because my car is not done or I haven't done this or I haven't done that. And there's like minimum requirements for safety and like stopping ability yep. and everything else. You are the slowest part of your machine driver combination. Just you just need to one day you just have to go out and do it. Yeah. And once you figure out where the weak spots are, then you can work on improving it. Yeah, uh, the uh, as far as my best moment of the season this year, I don't know. Like my my season this year wasn't all. Uh, it was. It felt like more work than anything. Um, probably my best personal moment was uh, we had uh, Richard uh, from England and I had thrashed on the Fraser for like it felt like weeks. Um, and it, it was a busy time of year too. We had Midwest festival, which is like for like three weeks ahead of time. I'm not doing anything at night except for prepping something or doing emails or whatever. And then we had, we let that led right into Autobahn, like what, three weeks later, two weeks later, two or three. And I, yeah. And I'm trying to stay married and like pay attention to my family and stuff. And, uh, and then that led into Honda Meet, um, and I wanted to have the Fraser like on track, running with the R1 swap done um, for Autobahn, and then it was almost there, and it didn't get there. Uh, I was missing some parts, and stuff wasn't sorted out, and then uh, uh, we really wanted to get it ready for Honda Meet, um, and so we thrashed and thrashed and thrashed. We even did a podcast while we were pulling the clutch apart, trying to figure it out, and um, and we got it. We we get, we literally couldn't figure it out, and we just abandoned all hope. And I wasn't even going to take a trailer with. Um, and then like I'm driving home from work, uh, like like fast, trying to get home so we can leave on time, uh, just to get there early enough. Because uh, we had, I think we had sessions starting on Friday at five o'clock or something. Um, and it, like I've worked, I just done a little job in the morning and on Friday. And uh, the RV was ready to go, but I had to go get it at my shop and stuff. And and it occurred to me that like, it occurred to me what it might be, um, and it was wiring related. <laughs> but uh, uh, and so I I, I ran home, uh, and Richard and I tried a few things, and then all of a sudden the car was working and it wouldn't stall when you put it into gear because it it was just a wiring problem. Um, and it felt like a physical problem with the clutch, but it was a wiring problem that was killing the engine. And the noise ended up just being like the, the reverberation through the drive shaft. That sounded like the biggest clunk in the world. But, yeah, because those don't have hydraulic um, clutches, right? It's just a cable like a dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we thought the clutch wasn't opening enough and that was stalling the engine. But it turns out that um, uh, it was killing the engine. And right off the top of my head right now, I can't remember what the circuit was, but it was killing the engine. Um, and like... Basically, the engine would come to a stop, and you'd hear like the clunk because the 
you know, it, it basically reverberated through this giant hollow drive shaft because I'd put it into gear and that is when it stalled and mm. yeah, whatever. So it was just like a conk and it was a bad noise and it sounded like I had killed it because the clutch wasn't open enough, but it wasn't that. So we had like chased, you know, demons trying to figure things out and we actually figured out by pulling the clutch apart, we figured out something we had broken trying to get the clutch to open too far because we thought it was a clutch all along. And then we, we changed things on the clutch mechanism and ended up opening the clutch too much and, like, stripped something out. And so we fixed that, luckily. But um, getting to drive that thing on track, uh, even though it was, like, a rough teething session, the second session, but the first lap around the track in that thing, like, shifting the, the, the sequential trans, which is the bike trans, you know, um, it was... It was just so good. <laughs> it, was, it was it was like uh it was like uh you know, so many all nighters and stuff, but like just the noise that it made and like I couldn't I'm mean, even thinking about it right now, I'm like, man, I don't wanna sell that thing. I don't wanna trade that for a GTO car. That was the best. And I think I might have just talked myself out of that just right now. <laughs> so, but Thanks, uh, slip angle. No, I don't know. It was uh, that was a good one. That was the best moment this year for me. Um, even though we had a lot of awesome moments, but a lot of those moments are like, you know, I'm on the radio trying to fix a problem while these moments happen, and Abe is out there being time attack in, in time attack glory, and I'm like solving the next session's problems. <laughs> but um, yeah, you- of the five years, the last five years, I don't know. Um, uh, I think probably uh, one of my favorite moments ever. Um, was uh, it was just a simple little regional event at Mid Ohio, and uh, I had had a really good qualifying uh, race, and I was in like the the Sunday morning race grid was based on on your qual on your fastest lap of the race on Saturday, and I had like a couple really good laps. I had a good toe, like a, a good uh, um towed on the back straight and I had a low horsepower car but I had I had placed top three out of like 60 cars or something or 58 cars or whatever the max it was a, it was a maxed out session um and like the the top three cars at mid-ohio when you're in the false grid like they get to sit against the fence instead of like backing up against the the rail uh, they get to sit along the fence and then just drive straight on and that was just the I don't know I felt I felt very accomplished when that happened <laughs> Because my car was like one of the three cars against the fence instead of backed up, um, even though it was just a dumb regional event. Uh, and then promptly on like lap four, my brakes went to the floor and I beached it in China Beach. <laughs> that was the used brake fluid problem day. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was a good day though. Uh, sitting sitting uh, in false grid uh, right up front, it it felt like I didn't suck at least for at least five minutes, but. Yeah. What uh, about you, Derek? Racing's hard. And this is Yeah, what was your best what was your best year the best thing of the last five years? We didn't tell you didn't you didn't say that. You said this year. Yeah. Last five years. I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe just the first track day, right? The first for that was in That's my last one. five years. That was a pretty It's always a good one. Pretty eye opening experience, you know? Um Yeah. It, cause the thing is, and I know I ramble about dirt bikes a ton, but you know that was like the one thing in life where, you know, all the worries went away. Didn't matter about the job. Didn't matter about school. Didn't matter about anything. You know, you can't think about anything else while you're racing. You know, yeah. Um, and 
searching for searching for that for that feeling again without with something that's a little safer you know just got tired of getting hurt but nothing was scratching that itch and it was like the first track day and i was like this is it you know this is the thing that i can do that's gonna give me that you know that time where i can be 100 percent focused on something you know yep no i love that about being on track even if it's just an hpd um yeah i mean i I got bored of the hpds after a little bit you know and searching for the racing but that day on that first day when i was you know in my streetcar corvette um i was i would say that's high up there on the on the moments yeah i believe that that first one's got to be fun yeah i remember my my instructor was a guy named chuck who was like a 70 year old uh camaro mustang challenge racer and uh and so he was kind of talking to me about racing the whole time in between sessions and stuff and getting me excited about trying that to sell you yeah and he got you there yeah <laughs> like i said i said before i was coming you know we we were coming anyway but yeah the uh, uh there was another question in here will a young asked what we thought the best time attack track anywhere was you guys got any ideas about that i mean i don't know like that's a tough one. Like the one, I've, the ones where people run already, or if I could just pick any track. No, if you could pick any track that would be like ideal for Time Attack, and I think in order to have that, you got to have sort of an all-around track because Time Attack classes vary so much, you know. And the cars vary the, so much too. I don't know that this is the best Time Attack track, but certainly the gnarliest track I've ever been to was uh, Palmer Motorsports Park out in oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Up on a mountain. I actually got a couple of pictures while we were driving there for one lap. And like when when someone says that they just put they blasted the racetrack into the side of a mountain, that's straight up what it is. And it They're is like literally carved into a mountain. Huh? And and there's like I mean there's there's basically no straights. Even the you know, even the the straights have bends in them. And I was doing what like 115 at start finish on the main straight, which is a curve. And there's standing water running across the track, and at, at that moment, I was like, "This is this is really dumb. I don't know why I'm doing this." But uh, yeah, that that track would be pretty wild, just because there's no runoff anywhere. There's there's concrete, Armco on both sides. Yeah, you're making me so want to go look like at uh, in car not the place. I mean, when it's like dry and the the. The, you're in the summer and everything's green. It's beautiful. Um, all the in-car I've seen from it, like it's really difficult, kind of like road Atlanta. It's really difficult to tell the elevation, but the whole yeah. track's on a hill. There's, there's no point where it's just like flat. Yeah. What do you think? Adam? But, uh, the best track for time attack. I think it would have to be an all around track. Um, I think if I had one track anywhere to, to run a, kind of a competition that would that would balance all the different potential cars in our classes and still be like rad um and we've ne- we've never had a good date there but I'd probably pick mid ohio our dates have always been early and cold and this year it was raining um but uh and then in, in 2019 NASA stole like all the dates because they're going to run the championships there so we're still stuck in like the early april probably but uh i think that track really is a good balance of so many things and it still has a big straightaway a couple straightaways actually like three three power areas um and it's 
It's really fun uh, for spectators, too, because you can walk around the entire infield and most of the outfield, too. Um, they got a, watch they got a from tunnel. Every, I haven't yeah. been I haven't been there yet in real life. So. You can walk everywhere. You can literally stand against the rail everywhere on the inside of the track. That's it's rad. so cool. Um, like everywhere except for like up in the keyhole, and you can see that uh, right. You can stand right against the fence from the outside. It's and there's also that also means there's walls everywhere. But um, I think from a spectator perspective and from like a balance of car performance perspective, and it's also like a it's sort of a beautiful place too. I think. The natural elevation change and like the bridges, and it's got a real like '80s F1 kind of feel. It's a really cool place. I I love that track. So. Well, what about you? What do you think? I would like to see if an Integra could go flat through the kink at Road America at like 170 miles an hour. That's what I want to see. So I, I pick oh. Road America. <laughs> Such That's, a cool place. It, the, it's literally the coolest place. You just gave me like a heart palpitation for a minute because now, because <laughs> that's a thing that's like hopefully going to happen this year. <laughs> so. That's what that's what I want to see, and that's not, and I already knew that, but that's not why I picked it. You know, that's just yeah. When I think time attack, I know you know the lower comp- classes are competitive and everything like that, but I just want to see the fast cars go fast, and I want to see them go fast at Road America. That track is it's one of like the. It's a horsepower track too, um, but it's also got some really technical spots. Yeah, it's, so. it's horsepower, but it has a you know some high speed corners like like Coda. You know my local track is horsepower, but a lot of the horsepower there is out of out of a tight corner. You yep. know, so you'll get to see the arrow work at Road America. Um, well, we're into this thing for uh, an hour and seventeen minutes. Everybody's still recording. Your recorders didn't crap out on us. Yeah, it's we're it's good. working. I got um, me a USB power plug, so I don't have to worry about batteries. You want to do a few more of these things here? I'm, I got I got one that I would love. I'm down to, to keep partying. Uh, Let's go. I'd love to I'd love to address this one and maybe get maybe each of us give like one one idea. But David oh, Otobre, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that uh, NCM is gonna be an awesome track for Time Attack. That's probably true. Track does probably, cool. Yeah, you didn't you didn't give us a good one. Sub two minutes, I'd love to see that. And, and like twenty some turns or whatever. I think VIR would be really cool too. You know, if I was going to pick a second place, VIR is so good in real life. Oh, it's so good. It's it's it's, uh, it's the most memorable first lap I've ever had around a track. Uh, was at VIR. It's it's like it's a place that really like gets you. Um, and so much about, I mean, I'm not a very clinical driver or anything, but so much about this hobby for me is like, it's about the emotions and the feelings and the, and you can probably tell from all the bullshit that I spew. Well, that's but, how you live your life. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, emotional gentleman track, here. That track is always, uh, I've, I've been there a bunch of times and it's always been like an experience, like the trip out there, uh, and then the event and like, I don't know. I love that track. That's a good one. Uh, that would probably be a good one from a, from a balanced performance too. Yeah. Some tight um, stuff, some, you know, some big straights, the S's. Yeah. All right. Don't lose, probably don't be lose pretty your question Ohio, that you were going to ask. But, yeah. I know I lost it because Facebook refreshed, but David Otobre is looking, um, to run, there it is. Uh, a few tips for somebody prepping a car this winter to compete in grid life for the first time next year. And this could go for any seri- any time trial or whatever. But, uh, Read areas, the rule book. Uh, well, yeah, that's a big one. Areas newbies often neglect to think about. That That's one of the things I was going to say is re- literally just read the rule book and read it more than once because we get so many questions. Like Abe and I get so many questions that it's like, okay, uh, we could just go to – 
you know, here's the section, screenshot, send it to them. <laughs> so, so many. I would say reliability. I think yeah, especially that, for your first year. I think that the, the time attack crowd maybe doesn't think about that enough. I think that would that would be the, the number one. Is especially yeah. in the lower classes because you know you can be you can make a car that's reliable. Those those guys in Unlimited they kind of have to push the limits on them on it. But you know look yeah. look at like Jackie Ding running around with a basically stock S two thousand with the header on it. You know he's you know his car never breaks. Who has more fun? You know. Yeah, he's out there a lot. I would probably um, the things that some people overlook. Uh, I would definitely not overlook the safety stuff. Um, even if That's I was building one. like a street class car, um, unless it was a car that really, really was strong unibody and crashed well and was known to do so, um, I would probably add a little bit of safety. Uh, and then I'd put really good tires on it. And I'd talk to everybody that I could get my, I could get you know in contact with uh, that, that knows that chassis. So... So many people don't access the the resource that is like the other people that drive the same car as you, and sometimes that's a pain in the butt thing to do because there's sometimes there's conflict of opinion. But um, yeah, I would I would talk to as many smart people as I could before I started doing that stuff. Thinking about this and having you know done a, a fair bit of tech at events, uh, something that often gets overlooked even by people who have been driving a while is if your car is going to be teched, you better make sure that your battery is tied down. And I realize <laughs> so that sounds many. stupid, but so many people are like, well, I, I got a bungee cord. Is that like fine? And you're like, Nope. Sorry, dude. I, it's got to be secure. I literally just I def, I define it in the, in, in the simplest way I could. It's got to be OEM or better. Like that's all. And like, <laughs> I don't know. Everybody shows up at the stupid rubber things that they sell at AutoZone. But the uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think I think you can get you can get some of that um, that framing strap from Home Depot and make a battery yeah. mount in about ten minutes. There's so many easy ways to do it yeah. very well. But I I remember I think it was at Road Atlanta. It was at one of the events. Um so Richard from England, who we've mentioned many times, he's been on the show a few times, uh Richard Simmons. Uh he's the best tech inspector that I've ever had. Uh he's very thorough. Um he's up early. Uh he's not hung over because he doesn't drink. Um he's a good tech inspector and he's very smart. Uh and he uh one morning, I hand him a breakfast sandwich, and I said, "What you finding, Richard?" And he said, "I can't believe how many fucking people don't have good batteries. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many. Like, the batteries are loose. They're whatever. Like, it's it's such an overlooked item. But the uh, I took uh, I took Richard uh, for a ride in Dan at Gridlock. Yeah, so did I. He took he did more laps in Dan than anybody that owns Dan. I think. Yeah, <laughs> Dan the sedan. Fun, the, fun uh, little car. Th there was another one in here uh, about uh, uh, track mod uh, street treadwear, street or tire treadwear and carpet. Um, there was another one about carpet. There's, there's people carpet are up in there. arms about carpet. Well, I the carpet one is kind of that's just one of like the, the couple simple delineation things between like track mod and street mod. Like you can get a little bit more arrow, you can add a little bit more tire. And you like got to keep the car a street-ish car if you're going to stay in street mod, or you can add those things and gut some stuff if you're going to be in track mod. But 
Um, it's one of the simple like things you can. Well, and it, it's not as if we, as as you know, the writers of the competition rulebook, don't realize that it's a small difference between having carpet and not. Yeah. But there there has to be a line, otherwise there's. Otherwise, everybody's got a track mine car, you know. It, I don't know. It's not um, really that big a deal either. Either way, seems just buy some carpet and put it back in it. You know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to like what what you want, where you want to compete. Um, really, if you want to compete in street mod uh, with us or with uh, you know a similar classes with other people, like it's just one of the rules. You know, well, you can't you can't run Hoosiers if you want to do that either, and nobody complains about that. So I don't know. Um, you know, I have friends who haven't come to our events yet that talk to me a lot about, you know, why is this rule this way versus that, so on and so forth. And, you know, fundamentally, uh, no one is going to be able to guarantee the competitiveness of, of any car, right? That's just, is impossible. Yep. Um, and especially as rules writers, it's impossible, but they're ba basically two paths. Uh, if you decide to come to an event to compete, there's two roads you can go down. One road is you can build the car that you've always dreamed of, of owning and it is perfect to you and you can go out and you can set it up the way you want and you can go out and attempt to run personal bests. Mm -hmm. The other way to do it is you can read the, uh, the rule book ex like to a T and you can build a car that's most competitive for a class. Build the tool. And it's possible – that those two things are mutually exclusive. And that starts with pick, not always that starts with pick, but picking like, the car too. If you can read the rule book before you pick the car, even better. Yeah. So like, you know, if you shouldn't complain about not being able to run three fifteen wide tires in street class because, you know, that's not the way you want to set it up. So if you want to drive it like that, just drive it and compete in whatever class you fit and just go out and have fun. But yeah. if your goal is to try and be competitive within a class, you've got to conform to the class, even if you don't like it. And you said something there that that uh, that I think a lot of people need to remember is this: this hobby's not all. It's not competition's not that fun. Like it's part of it, and it's a, and it's a goal, and it's fun to accomplish goals and stuff. But like, um, if this wasn't like a fun thing to do, we wouldn't be doing any of it and nobody else would either. So uh, I think some people do need to remember that this is supposed to be, uh, smiles like s smiles are kind of the best product that grid life. And they're really the only product that grid life produces. And really they're kind of the only product that NASA or SCCA or any of them produce. Um, they empty wallets and smiles and, uh, yeah, like you gotta remember smile a little bit. So, um, and in track mod, uh, we got a question about tire treadwear for Grid Life track mod. Abe, do you want to uh, do you want to spill the beans on what we're basically set on releasing with that? Uh, yeah. So PRI is going to be next week. Um, this show will probably come out. Today's Wednesday. It'll probably come out on Friday. Will you so be you're there? Get Abe? A little bit of a heads up. But um, will you be at what's that? Will you be at PRI? I live in Indianapolis. I'll definitely be there. Adam, will you be at PRI? Yep, be there Thursday and Friday, probably Saturday. I'll be at PRI too. First time in Indy. Man, Man flying all the way to Indy. I love it. Do you already have a hotel? I'm staying with Mr. Auto Assets Ed. Oh, oh cool. man. Glomming onto the Eddie party. But, <laughs> I hear that's always um, a good party. But I'm sure that will end up at your house at some point, Abe. I hope it does. They've already told um, me that. 
But regarding treadwares, I mean, we realize that <laughs> treadwear is kind of a stupid metric, but it's it is a half decent way to to manage balance of performance. It's almost and all we've got as far as tires. Yeah, you don't have that much. That's what else. everyone does, you know. And I pulled, I don't know, six of my most trusted track mod competitor friends. And I said, okay, well, if we made an adjustment here, what would happen? Uh, how would the balance of performance change? Um, if we made the number lower, would, would there be a definitive ultimate tire for that class? And the answer was no. So uh, we have a number of drivers coming from Canada and want to compete in our series and have made the claim that buying a bespoke set of tires to compete at our events versus the, the spec tire that they have to run for CSCS is, is kind of a nuisance. So we are going to allow a 60 treadwear tire in track mod for 2019 with the caveat that that tire must be commercially available to everybody uh, and that discontinued or specialty tires are forbidden. What tires does that mm -hmm. open up? What's a Hoosier? 40? Hoosier, yep. an R7 is a 40, yeah. What's a 60? Uh, Pirelli Trofeo R's, which okay. is a CSCS spec tire. Gotcha. Everything yeah, else was kind else. of already fit. Uh, I mean, there wasn't anything in like the 80 range that that is on the market currently. So What um, was it before? Sorry, I'm not familiar with these rules. 100. 100, okay. So, yeah, so there you could was already a, run an R888. You could already run the Viper ACR. You could already run a bunch of things. So There was a mythical tire made by Hankook a few years back that was really popular in Time Attack for a time. Um, the, what is it, the, the TD? Yep. Um, but that tire's been discontinued, and only people that know a guy are even able to get old lot uh, TD tires. And you and wouldn't want really old think, ones anyway. And we yeah. didn't really think that was fair, so we kind of managed to work our way around that problem by just saying that the tires have to be on the market currently. Yeah. Um, and uh, right at the end, right here, uh, Luigi Montanez asked, uh, what about all-wheel drive swaps in track mod? Um, yeah, yeah. What and about we'll, that idea? We'll leave it there. How about we just leave that one there? Um. Do you guys have uh, let's let's pick one more question each and then we'll end the show. Do you guys got any of you guys have a question picked out? I have one. I've got I've got two that can be one cuz they're from the same person. All right, uh go ahead. All right. So one is and this is the one I'm looking at so I'll read it exactly and it's Eric Kutul and he's asking will Derek Yarbrough me slow Miata ever make enough power to reach 12.5 power to weight ratio oh 12.5 what could that number mean and then his other question is when are we going to see will to will in grid life and when we do which he knows the answer to that but when, when we do what's going to be the best car so first will my Miata ever reach 12.5 and then two what's what do you think the best car is going to be I bet your Miata can run twelve point five to one power to weight. It will. It will get there. What do you think, Abe? Do you think I can get there? It's an NC. I don't know. Gonna... We'll have to see. Yeah. What's an NC Miata make to the wheels? So right now my car has a slip-on exhaust, and that's it. Stock airbox, everything. Tuned on a Dyno Jet, 
it makes like 154 peak, 153 peak, which is that's more than I actually thought. It which would. is which is strong is strong, and I think it's because it's so new. The car's only got like 9,000 miles on it or something, um, and it's a 2012. But so I, so basically, I need to make you know I I'm weighing like 2,500 pounds uh, with driver, so I gotta get gotta get some more power. Um, so it's a 12.5. Not gonna happen this year. Um, which once I think our class has like some some aero modifiers, right? So once I I'm gonna do aero, and that'll bump me up a little bit um, on the ratio to like thirteen, thirteen one. But uh, I think I'm probably gonna do a two point five swap for next season. So for 2019, I'm just gonna do the header and then run under the power to weight, and then hopefully I'll have somebody to play with back there in mid pack, and then. Uh, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Brad Adams if he's uh, man enough to show oh. up. <laughs> uh, Don't fight Brad Adams. You got to stop fighting with Brad Adams. Yeah, Eric asked that too. He asked when are we going to see Derek and Brad Adams duke it out on track, and uh, or in the you know with fist to cuffs, you know. So, uh, not we're, allowed. We're, not allowed at a grid life. We're trying to talk Brad into bringing his Honda Challenge car to uh, to. You know, to race with us, but he's he's too scared that I'll beat him or Eric will beat him that he he won't bring. I don't it. think he's too scared. Stop bugging Brad. I think he'll I think be, that's it. Not well, the thing is, I don't have anybody to. I don't have really anybody that's going to fit about where my car is going to run next year. Um, I'll be yeah. I'll be behind you, STL guys, just because I'm just not going to have the power. I don't have the money to get the car. You know, swapped in what time. What are you doing? Are you tripping over stuff in the garage out there? What are you doing? Keep it together, eh? I'm still. I'm still looking oh, for batteries. My thing died. Oh no! Well, that'll be fine. Happen. If there's dead spots in there and Abe Abe isn't talking, yeah, um, he, he'll come right back yeah. in. Um, but anyway, yeah. I'll just keep rambling on about my slow Miata. Uh, but I want Brad to bring his stupid Honda Challenge car because if you look at my car, will basically be set up as a ST5 NASA car, and if you look at the if you look at the yeah, pretty similar. If you look at the times, the Honda Challenge cars are just a couple seconds behind the ST5 cars. So you know yeah. we get Eric Kutel to give Brad a set of his cast-off Hoosiers, you know, real tires. Then, <laughs> and not those Toyos. Then, uh, you know, then I'll have somebody to race against. But um, we, we just had a guy from Toyo on the show. Come on. <laughs> well, come on, Toyo, make us a Hoosier competitor. It'll make us a fast tire. I don't know if they're gonna. I don't know if you're gonna see that. Whatever, but um, but any anyway, uh, I mean I have to run the sticky tires just because I I, I I'm already below the power you know above the power to weight. Yeah. But Abe, is all that noise? Is that you? Still looking? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, just just ignore Abe until he comes back and says his recorder. Are you recording back again yet, Abe? Or no? <laughs> he needs that fancy uh, USB <laughs> charger that I ordered off Amazon for about seven dollars. Well, all, all you really need is uh, you need yeah, an I old that. USB mini cable, and you just plug it into the side of it. Oh, yeah, you need yeah, batteries to start it's it still, up. Yeah. still giving you a problem. Abe yeah. is blowing it. Look at this. Unbelievable. Yeah. Remember, the listeners can't hear anything. But No, but it's freaking loud in my ears. Oh, come <laughs> on. You'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll make him edit it. Uh, <laughs> Although Derek, Derek's claiming that he's figuring this Dude, stuff I out. Dude, I got the so. editing down. I can edit my little, 
that that podcast that you know came on the show yesterday with me and Christoph, I figured yeah. out how to lower the background noise because if I left it like it was, you would hear you know the bluegrass at eighty decibels the entire show because it was that loud. Why did you record there? Well. They they never have anything there. Um, apparently Thursday nights they do live music, but I didn't know I'd never been on Thursdays. So yeah. it's like my favorite food place, and so I brought them yeah. there. But it was it was actually fine. Like the mics were really good, and in post you could just you know take all the background noise away to where you couldn't really hear it. Um, it's yeah, kind of just some cool. The, these mics are pretty good for, for yeah. not picking up uh, the, far the away only, stuff. The only the only regret I have on that was I should have given us both headphones so we could hear each other like you hear there me you say huh and it but but it's not because i wasn't listening it's because i couldn't hear christoph's yeah. little quiet quiet voice over the uh he, bluegrass <laughs> yeah he, he uh, he's a little bit soft-spoken we gotta teach him how to how to be yeah, loud like come on, uh, speak baby speak like, loud like dewey <laughs> um but yeah i've got so, uh, I've got i've got another interesting question oh, don't, here from skip, Andrew Raines. don't skip out uh, on best car what do you think the best car for the new grid oh i forgot mystery I forgot. class is um, going to be I think it'll be a Corvette. Abe, you're still not recording? Come on. Abe's got an answer. You got you got new batteries? Definitely a Corvette. Did you put them in the right direction? Ugh. Lots of people go to school for seven years, Tommy. <laughs> hey, Adam, you want to pause? You want to pause yeah, while he figures doctors. this out? Uh, I, don't, I think it's kind of funny. I don't care if we pause or not. <laughs> Uh, hang on, I'll I'll take a headphone out and I'll put it in there. All right, let me let me check. Give me a volume check here, Abe. Well, that's not going to uh, work. There's not much there, but yeah, there's something. <laughs> this is terrible. Everything's terrible. <laughs> Abe thinks there's a Corvette that can win every single class. He's probably right. I think uh, I think Abe is right. Probably. Especially in a power to weight class, you can just kind of. I think that if you, if you detune a Corvette um, down to. Oh, Abe's back. Are you recording again? Okay. All right, there. I'm back. Hi, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Abe, so Abe, Abe thinks a Corvette's gonna, you know, gonna be the king of Grid Life Cup or maybe whatever it's named. Oh, I don't know anything yeah, about do. real life I'm talking rules. about time attack. Don't play dumb for the listeners. That's not cute, Abe. <laughs> Your recorder did die. Man, I, lo- I lost my lost my question. I wanted. Yep. I keep talking. There, there it is. There's so many, so many comments in this thread. <laughs> so. Yeah, for time for a time attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Corvettes, you know, cuz you go back far enough, they get slow enough, they can kind of fit in a lot of places. But for the, for the power to weight will to will class, like you know the basics, right? Just power to weight will to will, twelve point five. You know, why do you think a Corvette is good for that class? Oh, you don't. All 
Oh, I don't know. I think I think Eric's going to be good until we get some development in these cars, and then he's going to be hoping for some BOP by Mr. Adam. I put my mic down because I had to go to the bathroom so bad, so you have to relay that. I was just... <laughs> Abe said that Eric's car is going to be the king. No, I, I heard oh, that. I heard that. that. All right, I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I, uh, I had to go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think Eric's car is going to be very good out of the box. Especially but, the first year, also, for sure. He's also been, like, uh, one of the the rules committee, so yeah. he gets to uh, he gets to make it so his car will be good out of the box, I think. But Yeah, um, and, you no. know, eventually the rear-wheel drive cars, like, if anyone builds for the class, you know, it's going to be rear-wheel drive, higher displacement cars that are going to get a little bit better. But we're going to control that. So if anyone's scared... That, oh, you know, a Corvette's going to come in or a turbo four-cylinder car is going to come in and, you know, tune their car to make the cars fast. Like, if you try to do that, we're going to, you know, control that with the uh, rules. My, my, uh, and we're not going to do it right away, but my thought on that is to have wording in there about um, power bands uh, having, needing a natural power band for the engine. Um, and that's going to kind of, if we do something like that, I got to figure out the wording for it, but you know, when it's not a natural power band, when you pulled 200 horsepower out of the top of it so that you made, you know, 250 everywhere, like that's not, a, that's not going to be a natural power band for that engine. Um, but I don't know the best way to enforce that. Yeah, so we'll kind of see where that's the, tough. And that's something we kind of go back and forth in the rules committee about, because some cars that we want to come play with is are going to have to detune just to make the power to weight. So yeah, where, do you, where do you draw yeah. that line? It's really arbitrary, but we'll figure yeah, out a do way. Do you take a 300-horsepower VQ down to 248-horsepower or whatever? Like, that's not that unnatural. Yeah. But if you take, like, a 500-horsepower turbo car and it makes, you know, 300 everywhere uh, and weighs whatever it would have to weigh, like... Yeah, that's not going to be as natural of a power yeah, band. But, but how do you draw that um, line in the rules? Yep. You know, you know. That's partially why I don't want to. I don't want to draw that line until we have to draw that yeah. line. Yeah, so. and on my end, I think I'm a a bit more on the side of chassis modifiers. Are just easier to do that to fix that if that's a, you know if that happens. Maybe maybe not. But we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I think we got to make sure we can actually do this first. We, there's been a lot of questions about Good Life Cup on there, but yeah, the rules will be well, out Well, we've been They'll teasing be it soon. for a year now. I mean, people are thirsty, Adam. Yeah. We, well, we were supposed to do it in August, but there's there's a long story that we probably won't ever tell on the podcast of why we haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason, and I think that waiting until – you know, to to start, you know, next year with a full season from the first event and even more hype along the way, I think that it yeah, ends up hopefully. being good for the class, you know. I hope so. And if you were going to kick it off, which I think our original plan was at Blackhawk Farm, Blackhawk Farms to kick it off, you know. who In August, It's yeah. tough to get people who aren't local to travel to that track because it's not really a destination track. But Although there's like a million... There's a million spec Miatas that live within like 20 miles of that place too, though. So. Yeah, I'm just trying to be. I'm just trying to be positive here, guys. No, I no, yeah, you haven't I haven't. Been... I haven't. I've seen a bunch of video and it looks rad, but it's so tiny you know, and fun. It's the best. Am I gonna uh, it, Am I gonna tow 20 hours there or 20 hours to Mid Ohio from Texas? Why not both? Yeah, both, yeah. both. But if I had to pick, you know, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to Mid Ohio. You know. 
Yeah, I could understand that. Yeah, I, I actually like spending more time in the paddock at Blackhawk more than the than the paddock in Mid Ohio. But um, yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like if you took like uh, a track straight out of like 1965 and then just like gave it nice buildings. <laughs> like that's what it is. Well, if best. we if we go back it. next year, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I might not bring my car yeah. to that one, but. Um, I'll be there. My goal is to be at every every event, even if I have to fly to a couple. The uh, uh, hopefully hopefully the, it's a good year, and you'll actually want to do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, I will. I will. Doesn't just slap you in the face. Yeah, the food and beer game uh, is incredible. That sounds like a perfect event for me to fly to. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I'll I'll come check it out next year. So Adam, you never no, answered I- the question. So, what do you what, think the best question? the best car is going to be? Uh, I think there's a. That was the uh, kids' I think question. It's, it, it's going to depend long term, um, but I think right out of the box, I'm hoping that that um, so much of that depends, on, especially with power to weight. It depends on the track choice, um, but. Like I said, like I've said for a long time, I love a lightweight car, and I'll mm-hmm. probably have the lightest car in the class. So mm-hmm. hopefully, mine will be the best. So Adam thinks his is going to be the best. I think it'll have the most potential. I won't be the best because I don't drive enough anymore. But um, <laughs> you can put Tomo yeah. in the car for one race just to see if it th- see if it's good. <laughs> I think a sub two thousand pound car uh, in a sea of twenty five hundred to three thousand pound cars has a lot of distinct advantages if they all have the same rough power to weight. Um, but but that's still kind of a horse for every course kind of thing, you know. You gotta, yeah, for sure. It's not my car wouldn't isn't going to win it like a Road America. Yeah, yeah, um, where you've got the more aero yeah. drag comes into play. And you've got big straightaways with with yeah. high speed it also, it, and like it depends on the race, right? Like you put the you yep. put the thing on pole and you run away from turn one, you're good. But, you know, if you get in mid-pack and then you have to try and battle a car that's a little bit faster in a straight line and slower in the corners, that's when it gets tough. Yeah, it's going to be different. But ho- hopefully that's the fun part of this If you put that is... thing on pole over Eric, I swear I'm going to give him so much shit. It's never going to happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> if it does, he'll never hear the end of it. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> two, two, 2012, Adam, was like, okay. He was pretty good, but like 2019, Adam is like a uh, he's 25 years older than that than 2012, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the kid got a lot faster too. Yeah, the kid got fast, man. That's what I racing will do, baby. Make you fast. Um, my question, my last question, uh, Andrew Rains of Apex Pro, uh, he asked, will there ever be another high level professional sports car series where the competitors build their own cars? Like, um, I guess like, like old school Trans Am maybe like, cause that doesn't even happen hardly much anymore. Um, but, uh, I'm going to say no. Um, I, I hope there is. I hope, personally, I hope that that is what, um, I mean, there's a reason we we don't want to do 20 different race classes. Um, I hope that that is what uh, our, this wheel to wheel series kind of turns into is like a home built, like high profile series. Would we consider that um, pro though, or would it be amateur? I mean, that's, that's the thing. If we're going to say it's going to, if, if it's going to say pro, then maybe we have the best chance at that really. But 
Um, as far as yeah, like the, the real the, pro racing, you know, if we're talking about wheel to wheel, it's not. Yeah, that's probably not going to ever happen. Yeah, again. it's it's, just, it's going sailed. the other direction. You know, they're even taking. You know, the old Conti ST cars are all now TCR. You know, everything is yeah. homologated. Everything is spec. Yep. No, it, it's that right. Right now, I think the coolest racing is kind of the Australian um, um, improved touring series or whatever you call it, and with such diversity in groups and stuff. And that's kind of what we're hoping for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you I'm could, sure they have some boring races too. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, but the they do uh, racing good, some, man. I really love the VA Supercar series. You know, you put yeah. you put a high horsepower car, you lock the diff, don't give them a bunch of aero, and you'll see the drivers who are a good shine. Those things have spools in them? Yeah, they have spool diffs. They don't even have regular diffs? Nope, spool diffs. That's awesome. And they you know, <laughs> they just got IRS like not too long ago. The only reason I know, I know that is because, you know, we're all iRacing racing nerds and you know, we got in the car and iRacing, racing and we were like, How the fuck do you drive this thing? And yeah. and then we just all Googled them, and then we figured out, oh, yeah, they have spool diffs, you know? So, like, in the game, I mean, I don't know how much it is, translates to real-life V8 supercars, but in the game, right, you come off the brakes, and the thing doesn't turn until you give it a little maintenance just because, you know, the diff's locked all the time. Yeah. But, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, super, you know, it really, when you look at how close those guys run together and the hop in the curbs and the three wide, and then you think about yeah. 600 horsepower and a lock diff, you're like, okay, those, you know, that's pretty wild. That's beastly stuff, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, but that, but that's, you know, that's to show you like those cars are basically spec, you know, which spec can be cool if you don't have a lot of arrow. Um, but once you add a bunch of arrow and the braking zones get short and then it gets kind of boring. Yeah. Je- Jeff Braun, uh, said he would take away all the arrow because that's what makes racing cool. I'm on that uh, train by ta- for sure. taking away the arrow. Uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think we did a show because my phone is about dead. My phone has gone from 99% to 30%. Um, and now we just, in- we just got into the twenties a minute ago. Are you in the civic? Are they in the wife civic right now? No, my wife is out to, uh, out with uh, a bunch of girls tonight. Gotcha. And probably doing na- naughty things, and uh, so I'm solo dad. Luckily, Emma hasn't woken up. Uh, we we would have had a nice interlude with Emma on the show otherwise. Hey, last one. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Uh, not on my pizzas. I would say it, it does on mine. I put it on half, just so well, just so I can try, you know, half with the pineapple and half without the pineapple. My go-to is pepperoni, know, pineapple, and jalapeno. But, but that sounds like too much stuff, man. Pineapple only on half. The uh, to me, um, I, I have simple tastes, and I love me a pepperoni pizza or a sausage pizza, and I don't like onions because they overpower things, and I don't like pe- pineapples because they overpower things, and I don't like jalapenos because it overpowers. And that was things, John man. John Faber that asked that question. Have you ever seen you know like in the movies how they throw up the dough and then you know kind of swinging around on their hands and stuff? Oh yeah, I can yeah. I can do that. I don't believe you. Yeah, I worked at Domino's for like since I was sixteen to twenty. <laughs> okay, now I believe you. Yeah, <laughs> you probably sold that Integra with like pizza dough on the ceiling from practice. Dude, definitely crap everywhere. Definitely, dude. I, I think I paid twenty six hundred dollars for that Integra, twenty five hundred dollars, and it made its it made its value back probably twenty fold delivering pizza for a couple of years. How much did you sell it for? 
you know, I was, I was out cause I, so I live in an apartment complex, but it's like a, I live over my garage. So it's like a normal apartment building, but it has garage garages in the side of it. Like in a, just a normal yeah. big apartment complex. Um, and so I have an attached garage that I live over, um, in yeah. a big apartment building. And so I can park in front of my garage. So I have my garage with my Miata inside or MX five, whatever. Um, and then my truck and then my wife's car, you know, we can all park. So we don't have to park in parking spots, which is nice at an apartment. But yeah, so it's kind of like a kind of like a townhome. It's not really though. It's just in a normal apartment building, you know, like how there's you know different apartment buildings with three you know three stories. Uh, but the the builders just chose to put garage doors on this you know instead of first story apartments in the section. You know that's how mm-hmm. a lot of apartments around here are like that. But it's yep. nice because you don't have the negative of finding a parking spot at an apartment complex or if you have groceries getting rained on, like you can run right in the garage and you have stairs up to your apartment. Okay. Um, but I was outside, like I was working on my truck or something and I don't remember what I was doing to it. And a kid drove by in a, uh, old Explorer and was like, Hey man, like I've always wanted one of those Integras like that. Like, is that thing for sale? And, uh, I was like, I mean, I was going to sell it here soon. I mean, right. It, it needs a couple things. Like it's got an, uh, it needs a brake booster. Um, <laughs> got to have a strong leg. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a strong leg. I had the brake booster. I was just too lazy to put it on. Um, so I was right. like, I've got a brake booster for it. I ordered off rock auto. You can have it with the car. And he was like, look, man, I'll give you $500 today. And then I'll give you, you know, total, uh, fifteen hundred dollars for the car and i was like no nah, man like i'll take 1900 and he was like yeah i'll do that so so just a little kid in the apartment <laughs> complex he gave me five hundred dollars that day and then we signed yeah. a little bill of sale and he didn't even take the car like i just kept driving it and he was like whenever it's paid up you can just give it to me and uh so you you lost 700 bucks on that car yeah. and probably made two years worth of salary off of it yeah probably made 30 grand you know with two or three years of delivering pizza in it when yeah, i that's right. when i got it it had one hundred forty thousand miles on it when i sold it it had like 203 or something or cheap cars man cheap something cars like best. that 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 car lost the timing belt going down the highway and did not bend a valve yeah uh, as an ls motor right yeah just a little ls integra completely stock um I, that LS motor is an interference motor, but yeah, I have it is. personally seen I've seen four of them chuck belts and be fine. So what happened like to mine a, was, and it cost me another fucking ninety dollars, was uh, when the when the belt threw, it hit the knock sensor and killed the motor immediately. The knock sensor. Yeah. So or the crank sensor. Either either the crank. Oh yeah, the crank. Yeah, the crank fluctuation. Yeah, sensor, the yeah. crank position sensor or whatever. Um, yeah. I guess because it's close. Because um, c- yep. I was yeah the crank fluctuation sensors right on the bottom. It must have been OBD two car then, right? I have no idea. But what year was it? Ninety six. I think it was a one. Yep. Or that yeah, that would that would no that would have an OBD two okay. crank fluctuation. Only the OBD two ones had those, and it was basically like a timing. It was on the bottom timing gear. There's like a tooth, a twelve tooth wheel, and on the back side of that is a little. Uh, uh, not a Hall effect, but the other kind of sensor, and yeah, the, it's right by the time, but it can it can wreck that. Yeah, you know, I was just I was you know delivering pizza, going down the road at seventy, and then 
boom, car just dies. You know, just put it in neutral, roll to the stop, have it towed to a buddy's shop, um, and then go get a rental car, and then keep delivering pizza. And then uh, the, the my uh, I had a buddy back home. I live in Austin now, but I live, grew up in a small town, and I had a, a guy that was a like a, he only he was a mechanic, a one man shop that only did Hondas and German cars. And mm-hmm. uh, he did like a did everything at cost for me. He did like a league down test on it. I was like, yeah, man, it's fine. So I ordered a Gates timing belt kit and new sensor, and then boom, started back up. And that was you know forty thousand miles ago. <laughs> yeah, no, that once in a while those motors they stop in just the right spot where the where none of the valves are all the way down. So yeah, yeah and it was kind of worked out. You know, I think that that. You know, hitting that sensor and killing the motor immediately is really what. Really, it probably it probably helped. didn't have too much to do with it, but who knows? Who knows? Could be, could be. That's what I tell myself. But but yeah. anyway, yeah. So that car just sold itself. You know, just some kid walked up to me and said, "Here, <laughs> sold itself for almost what you bought it for." Yeah, and uh, that was it. Did, well, it didn't even wash it. The, or, uh, the wheels didn't even match. Yeah, that's right. You had ordered like one random Sparco wheel off a tire rack. Yeah, right? because <laughs> I was at so in my in my degree, you have to do these clinicals, right? Where you just work for free, basically as an intern, intern Derek, you know. Um yep. and then at the end you have to reach a certain amount of hours to graduate. And I was at one of my clinical internships and I come outside and one of my stock it had Honda Fit wheels on it. One of the Honda Fit wheels are gone, and a bald donut is on. Someone, they, they, someone pulled in the parking lot and stole one. And these were jaggedy ass Honda Fit wheels, like they were all curved <laughs> and dirty and uh, brake dust all over them. Someone so just, pitted. Someone, yeah, so pitted. Someone just wanted one Honda pitted. Fit wheel and then left me with the donut so I could get home. And well, at least they, at least they were courteous enough to not cinder block you. I know, right? So yep, it could have been bad, man. Yeah, I guess they needed it more than I did, but um yep. and, and I looked on eBay for new wheels, but like the cheapest the cheapest way to get a wheel the next day was freaking tire rack, you know. They had like a closeout on a rim they only had one of, you know, so you couldn't buy the whole set, so it was like twenty nine dollars for the rim and a <laughs> like like six I think it was like a Sparco wheel, right? Yeah, it was a Sparco Terra, Some something, something. It was, it was a yeah. cool, it was a cool looking wheel, but you couldn't buy four, so it was like they only had one. It was super discounted, and you know, and you, if Tire Rack doesn't have four, like nobody got yeah, four. Yeah, no one asked for like that is the last Sparco Terra blah 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 on the planet, and it mm-hmm. ended up on my Integra <laughs> because I could get it in one day for under a hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a deal, man. Gotta have deals. Yep, well. deals, 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 deals. <laughs> No, All right, well, I think, I think I'm. Podcast. I think we're into this thing for two hours now. Two so. hours and two minutes or one minute. It's the. You guys want to know a fun fact? Yes. I think it's the first show that I have taken uh, a bathroom break on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, it happens every. It happens like in every Joe Rogan experience, and I don't think it's ever happened on one of ours. I am so. three fourths the way through a Shiraz from South Australia, and I have not taken yeah. a bathroom break yet. Like a whole bottle? Yeah, three, four. Yeah. Man, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I told I told my wife, I was like, I have an energy drink or a bottle of wine. Which one should I go to for the podcast? She was like, go wine, Derek. And I was like, all right, I'll do Man. that. Man, <laughs> she's, uh, she's a smart lady, that Alex. Yeah, be okay. Derek, you're a... 
you do speech things for a living and you still have this strange accent that I can't pick I can't pin down and it must be the middle of somewhere in Texas. Dude, I love it. It's 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 me trying to not do my my hometown accent, which is Man, which is I want to like, hear the hometown which, accent. Which is like, which is like this, you know. We grew up in Southeast Texas, and we hunt. That was the and, best, man. And we fish, <laughs> and you know they race fucking dirt sprints in Southeast Texas. There ain't no road racing, none of that. You know that's how they talk. You know, so it's like you start. Why don't you just talk like that, man? Give into your naturals. Give it. Just, just let it out, man. Just let it out. Because the the natural <laughs> isn't quite that exaggerated, so it just makes me sound. Dude, I I do a good Brad Adams impression. Yeah, you actually you actually do a pretty good. So so hey hey guys, it's it's Brad Adams here, and you know I don't know if I'll ever bring that that Honda Challenge uh, EG Civic to grid life because I'm scared that Derek Yarbrough is gonna whoop my ass up and down that Gingerman course. But I'm probably gonna bring this shitty Miata I got for like a thousand dollars just so i have a built-in excuse when i lose i think you just i think you sound like Derek right now dang it <laughs> well that was there there was so so in the in in the grid life instructor chat uh Derek had figured out how to do face like like what what is that you put uh, it's, so like in the new iphones like the 10 which i'm not a big yeah. tech iphone guy just like get the new ones when they come out because i have this deal with sprint where you get a new one every year but anyway the new the new ones you can do like a, you build your own emoji so you yeah, can it's like, like an emoji face yeah, over like top of your face in the video your hair and your and your you know facial hair and gender and all that and uh i got on there and just started doing impressions of people and that I mean, that's really it. So, you did a pretty good one of Brad Adams, and I forget why it was so funny, but you had something that made me uh, giggle. I remember seeing it at a stoplight, and I laughed for at least a block. So it couldn't have been it's that. It's pretty bad. funny. I mean, it definitely helps when you have the visual of because his yes. his emoji. You know, of course, Brad is a bald guy with a you know with a beard, but I gave him like mm-hmm. stud earrings. And, and <laughs> that's that that was that was funny <laughs> <laughs> for for no reason and then he told me his ears were pierced and I was like ah naturally yeah now you picked up on that you subtly picked up on that he must have been anyway i got to sign off here my my dog needs to go outside yeah my, we're into this thing for way too. too long so all right good, Brad, fun show dudes we'll keep doing this keep it up all right buddies all right later good night Bye. see you dudes Bye.